This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. Earth is a strange little speck. We think it's so big because we're so small on earth. But they have this wonderful thing, and it's, I saw it a number of years ago, and they actually take earth and they put it in focus, and then they move from earth out and they move into space. And you see how earth just dissolves into the Milky Way and becomes part of everything else. Space is an interesting place because space is very much the unknown to us. We really don't know terribly much about it. Early people used to become aware of the stars and they noticed that we had a moon. And it took pretty much, it became relatively recent when man first stepped on the moon. But that's as far as we've been. We've never been to another planet. We've never been to another galaxy. They're talking about going to Mars. The journey to Mars is six months travel time there and six months travel time back. There's a year invested before that's any time actually spent on Mars. We know nothing about or very little about the universe that we live in. We have ideas and theories about what it's all about. And the thing about it is the more we, we move into that space and the more we begin to go into it through telescopes and through people going and sending spacecraft all over the place, we're getting a better understanding as to what it is. And what we're starting to discover is sometimes what we thought was happening isn't really what's happening. And really what, what's, what, what, what constitutes space out there is quite different to what we had imagined. The funny thing is, if you speak to people, everybody's got an, a, a perspective on space. Some people say, well, I just don't care. It's, it's immaterial. I live on Earth and I'm happy. And then there are other people who talk about it and they wonder whether there are aliens who live out there, other forms of life that exist on there. And the, the thing about it is we have all of these ideas about potentially what it could be. But the interesting thing is whatever you believe about space is actually quite immaterial to space. It doesn't change it at all. Space is going to do its own thing whether we believe what it should be doing or not. What we believe about space just affects us. But in the grand scheme of everything, Earth is really just a small little speck, but it's a consequential speck because it's the only place that they've ever found life. The great unknown. That is what I really believe our spiritual life is like. The great unknown. We're so comfortable in the natural world because that's what we know and that's what we feel and that's what we understand. And we're very thankful to science because science has done a lot of exploration and they've done experiments and all. And so they, they give us an understanding and a concept of our natural world. But we know very little about the spiritual dimension. We started to kind of move into that realm and we started to play in that realm and we started to get a better understanding of it. But we really don't have a deep, deep knowledge about stuff. We all have ideas about what it is. But ideas are only as good to kind of perhaps put us on a trajectory and get us moving. But as we begin to walk into that space, what we may well discover is my ideas may not be complete or they may actually just be quite wrong. Because I learn as I begin to move into that space. 
Be careful about what you believe about things. Because your belief can inhibit you, limit you, or open you up to opportunity. But what you believe about the spirit world is inconsequential to the spirit world. It's just of consequence to you. So what I want to begin to do is I want to start to have a look at the different components of the spiritual world. What God begins to talk about with that. Space is out there and it lives up in the heavens and we enjoy it and we can look at the beauty of it. But everything that's of consequence in the spirit world is not out there, but it's in here. And so we have to take a different perspective on things because if we're really wanting to meet with God, he's created an opportunity for us to not only know him, but for us to meet with him. But as we begin to navigate a new dimension, we're going to move into a realm that perhaps we're not always comfortable and perhaps we don't always understand. And what we're going to discover very much like space is that the laws that govern Earth don't necessarily govern space. And gravity might work here, but it just doesn't work in other places. And so the things that might work in the natural realm may not be as pertinent or as relevant or consequential in the spirit realm. So we have to discover what laws and principles operate in that place so that we can move into that space in a more meaningful way, gain better understanding, and be able to partner with God in a more effective way. My dad always loved Ferraris. He never had one. But he always loved them. I love Ferraris. Who doesn't love a Ferrari? The thing about a Ferrari is you can have it parked in the garage. And you can look at the beauty of it. But if you really want to understand how that machine works, you have to open the hood and you begin to look in the hood. And when you look in the hood, you begin to understand all the different pieces and what they do. And it's helpful for you because what it means is if your windshield wipers don't work, you're not having a look at your battery to find out why that's not happening. You know where to look for things like that. So when we begin to understand what the different components are, it's helpful for us because then it begins to give us an understanding and a concept as to how we can operate and how God has designed us to fit into and to gain a better understanding in and participate in the spirit realm in a more meaningful way. Understand that what we're doing today and what I'm probably going to do next week or so is to look in the, under the hood. Okay, Looking under the hood is not driving the car. Looking under the hood gives us an understanding of it, but it's in the application of it that we really get to experience it. If you want to feel the Ferrari, you've got to take it for a drive. If we want to explore the truth of what the fullness of the Christian experience is like, we need to delve del deeper into the spirit realm to try and understand who he is, to connect with God to allow him to have influence in my life in a meaningful way. So we're going to try it, and, and let's just see where we end up, okay? So here we go. I'm venturing forth in, and let's see if this works. Okay, ready? Are you with me today? Yes. Donna told me something earlier this morning. She said, you can be very happy that there's so many decorations because no one's going to listen to a word you say because they're, be, they're going to be watching everything else.
I want to speak, and what I've titled this is Sons Are Heirs, Reclaiming My Inheritance Through Rebirth. The things that God has available for us is fullness of life. When he speaks about fullness of life, what he's talking about is he's talking about us experiencing the fullness of his plan and purpose for who you were designed to be and for who you are. The thing about God is God and what he has for us is not something that he offers us. It's who he is. It's very important that we understand that. It's kind of like the features that I have. My nose, the color of my eyes, my balding head, the, my height, my stature. There are certain things that I can't give you. They belong to me. The only way that, that you can really potentially experience them is you have to be born of me. When you're born of me and you have my genetic material on the inside of you, then what ends up happening is you can have the same nose as me. If you don't have that, I can't give it to you because it's not what I have, it's who I am. That's who God is. If we want to experience the fullness of who God is, it's not what he has, it's who he is. And so it's important that one of the principles that we begin to understand is when God begins to work with us, he's not here to give you something. He's there to allow us to participate in his life. He wants to be born on the inside of us. Because every time he takes a part of who he is and he imparts it to us, what he's doing is he's building life into who we are. He's taking a part of who he is and he's birthing it into us. And when he births his life into us, we get to experience what that is about. So when he takes his attributes and his characteristics, when he takes of his character and his nature, and he takes those things and he begins to put them into us, what he's doing is he's sitting saying, I want you to experience the fullness of life that I have for you. And I want for you to experience that attribute of who I am, whether it be his health, whether it be his provision, whether it be his peace, whether it be his, the fullness of who God is, he's looking to impart to us. See, now I've got a rebellious thing on my hands here already. Hold on, I think I turned it off. No, I didn't turn it off. The battery's dead. I told you! Yeah, yeah. Oh! Jackie, you're a wonder woman. Okay, hold on. See, I'm just, I'm just practicing. God. God existed before we ever existed. Before you were, before you were anything, God was out there. God was in the beginning. And because of that, he gave context to very much the things that, that we are all about. The things we see are temporal, but the things we cannot see are subject to change. Understand this, the realm that God operates in is the eternal realm. It's the spirit realm. So God took from spirit to create natural. Everything in the natural is subject to change. I'm aging. I'm subject to change. <laughs> I'm not what I used to be. Trees, birds, fish, life comes, goes, changes. It's not permanent. Everything in this realm is subject to change. 
The thing about it is when you're talking about God's realm, it is eternal. And so it, because everything in this realm came out of that realm, that takes preeminence over this. It's kind of like the law of gravity. The law of gravity is operational. The thing about it is there are some times where you have other laws that transcendent, transcend it, like the ability to fly a plane. It transcends gravity. So you have thrust and I don't know what the other law is. Chuck, help me. Lift and thrust. There you go. You heard it from a professional. It supersedes the law of gravity. It doesn't mean that gravity doesn't exist, but you have a law that supersedes it. There are certain laws that are operational in the natural realm. The thing about it is the spirit realm can supersede those. And so can bring about change in this realm as a result of that. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. If there's one thing that you can trust is God never changes. You can be so thankful for that because he's not moody. He never woke up this morning and he's different to who he used to be. It's not that you never know who you're going to get. It's not like you're walking on eggshells. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So anytime God says something, any time God commits himself to something, any time God gives us an idea as to who he is and reveals his nature and character to us, what he's saying is, I will be consistent in that forever. You can always rely on it. There's a difference between managing and changing. That's for us as people. Very often we talk so much about people need to change. The thing about it is, unless you're born again, it's very difficult to change. In fact, in most instances, you can only manage. Why? Because the thing is, if you talk about change, change is a movement from one state to another. The thing about it is when you get born again, you have the nature of God, which comes into play. God has the ability to change one state into another. He can change anxiety and nervousness and, and worry into peace. We can't do that. What we do is we try to manage this. We can't change it. God can change it. That's when we talk about Jesus as Savior, and I, I can't get into this right now. I'm going to do it probably next week or the week after. That's why it's so important, because the thing about it is he's not talking about being able to manage who we are. He's not talking about being able to, to manage the status quo. He's here to introduce newness of life. What he's saying is, I'm not into management, I'm into change. I'm not into taking the status quo and, and managing it in the best way possible. What I'm introducing you to is old things can pass away and become brand new with me. I can introduce some stuff into your life. As a born again believer, you should be ecstatic about that because what it says is you should never be stuck. Amen. There is nothing that is part of your life that he's not capable of changing. And what I will tell you is this, anything that you have that doesn't conform to his image, he's on a mission to change that because it's your destiny. Okay, let me see if I hit the right one. Hey, this is important. God is spirit. Okay, it's invisible, immaterial, but it's not inaccessible. This is where there, there's a divergence between science and God. I see these little placards in people's in yards and stuff. And it's like, we believe in this and we believe in that. And we believe in science. And it's like, I also believe in science, but I'm not limited to science. Yeah. If you're limited to science, the problem with it is God is not tangible. He's not naturally accessible. And so when you go with science, as long as I'm able to quantify it, as long as it's part of that realm, it falls into the science 
realm. But when you go beyond that boundary, it's like you're transcending science. That's spirituality. And you have to get comfortable with that because that's the realm that God lives in. And what becomes important about it, what I'm going to show us, let me just take you on the journey first. Okay. Um, it's a whole new world. It's God's domain. When you talk about the spirit world, you're talking about God's domain. What's important is that God creates an opportunity for us to not only live in the natural realm, which he created for us to do, but he's given us access to both the spirit world and to him. God has a mind. This is not rocket science. <laughs> I'll tell you why he has a mind. He has mental capacities. The problem with it is we associate the mind with the brain. So we think an organ. So we thinking God has a brain. It doesn't say God has a brain. It says God has a mind. A mind is a mental capacity. The reason that a mind is important is because God is not just some airy fairy um, spirit that's floating around there somewhere. God has the capacity to do certain things which give him definition, which give him uniqueness, which give him distinction as to other things. He, makes a, he decides as to who he is and what he's all about. And as a result of that, it gives him identity. When you talk about this is of God, this is a characteristic of God, those are the things, the attributes that define who he is. It gives him identity. God has a mind. I can't read the back one, sorry. God has a will. God says, I'm, I'm going to put this in the context of creation because I kind of want to focus on that this morning. God says, let us make man in our image. Who is he talking to? No one was there at that point. Let us make man in our image. He's talking about potential, he's talking about what he wants. He's talking about choices to be made. And he says, okay, that's a great idea. We're gonna, the Bible is full of, of examples of God making choices about stuff, where he is in things. And some of the choices he made was in, in context with man. There were some times where God met with certain people and spoke about what God wanted to do, and they changed his mind about some stuff. He could create. These are all characteristics of the mind. Creation is full of you and I are part of God's ability to create. God has the ability to reason. God meets with man. God met with Adam. God interacted with Adam. He has emotion. God is love. That's part of his nature. And the attributes that go with love is who he is. Part of the reason that he wanted to have another being that had the freedom of choice is because love needs something in order to be able to express itself. You can't have love and live in isolation because you have to have something, an object on which you can express that love. And really what you're looking for is you're looking for that object to be able to reciprocate and sit and say, you know what, because of that and because of what I sense and I feel and because of who you are and the contributions you've made to who I am, I want you to experience the love that I have for you. That's what he was looking for. That's what he's looking for with us. God remembers. God knows the end from the beginning. Now I'm pressing the wrong thing. Genesis 1.26, let us create man in our image after our likeness. So he starts to create man. 
And he creates man of the dust. And he creates his body of the dust. The reason that that becomes important is because, remember, we straddle two realms. God said, you know what? I'm going to create a being, and I want that being to be like us. And I want that being to experience what it is to have dominion over a realm. So he creates a realm called the earth, and he places man in that. But in order to be able to live in that realm, you have to be built of that realm. So he took of the dust and created man's body in that context. The thing is, it wasn't just designed to live in that realm, but in the other realm as well, the spirit realm. And in that realm, it was designed so that God could live in relationship with man. As a result of that, the body was designed to house the spirit. Let us create man in our image after our likeness. Dust, body is part of that. The other part of that is brain. Your brain is an organ. When God had finished creating man of the dust, what was left there was body and brain. And there was no life. It's lying there. It was created of the dust. And God said, um, oh, sorry, I went the wrong way. I, I promise I will get this right. God breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. A couple of things. God breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. Let us create man in our image after our likeness. In order for us to be born in God's image, what he had to do was he wanted to create an opportunity for, for him to be the source of our life. So what he did was he created man and we had the body and the brain lying there of dust. And he breathed, who is God? Spirit. He breathed into man his spirit and man became a living soul. What did he do? What did he put on the inside of Adam himself? The spirit of God is what entered Adam. It wasn't just spirit. It was spirit of God that entered Adam. And in that moment, you had incarnational reality. God inside man. God was inside Adam. The very spirit of who God was. Why is it important? Because he was on a mission. God is, he's, Wanting to fill the full, fulfill the purpose of create man in my image. How is he going to do that? Spirit is the life principle. It's the pneuma. It's the breath of life. He breathes into man the breath of life. Every person that is living has the breath of life on the inside of them. It's what sustains you and what keeps you, them alive. Whether you're born again or not. What ends up happening is when we die, spirit comes outside of body. And when spirit comes outside of body, life comes outside of body. And all that's left is dust once again. Body and brain. That's all it is. All the organs, everything that goes with it. The life principle, the pneuma, the spirit is what gave life to Adam. But it wasn't just 
the breath of life. He gave him a mind, the suke, man's life in relation to himself. He didn't just breathe and sit and say, you know what, I'm gonna make man so that he can participate in this domain and I'll create a body for him so he can live in this domain. I'll give him a brain so he can live in this domain. He said, no, I want man to straddle two domains, not only to be able to participate in the natural and the spiritual, but I want him to be in my image. So he breathed into him spirit and he became a living soul. And when he breathed into him spirit, he breathed into him the spirit of God, into his spirit. But man also has a mind. Why is a mind important? Because mind is the same as what God has. In a spiritual capacity, it's a mental capacity. It's not an organ. It's the ability of man to be able to make choices as to who he is. Your will and your right to choose sits in your mind. Your emotions are in your mind. Your thoughts and knowledge are in your mind. You have that. It doesn't mean you don't also have it in your brain. The thing is you can. When your mind begins to exercise influence over your brain, which I'll speak about in a minute, you end up responding to it. We have chemistry which kicks in. And we feel happy and we feel sad and we get what's happening when when i when i maneuver and move my mind is having influence over my brain god breathed into man's nostril did i do the slide already and man became a living soul Man became a living soul. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to give you an understanding as to what these different components are. Because we hear about these all the time and we don't always understand what it is. A living soul is spirit in union with and animating the body through the brain. Okay? So in other words, God breathed into man spirit. Man has the capacity in his spirit to be able to make decisions as to who he is. The, we, the reason you know that it's spiritual is because when spirit leaves, it doesn't leave without any kind of identity. When spirit leaves, it still has a sense of definition. Remember, um, the rich ruler went off to paradise and he said, I, I recognize who I am, but can somebody just send, can you send somebody down to my brothers and my family who are left on earth so they know that they don't, so he didn't go to paradise, he was going to hell. And, um, and he knew who he was. He had an understanding as to who he was and what he was all about. Why was that? Because his mind went with him. So our mind has the capacity to influence the brain. I, th I kind of view it this way. It's kind of the analogy is between the workman and his tools. The mind, which is spiritual, is the workman. His tools, toolbox, is the brain. When the workman arrives at your house, you don't sit and say, gee, let me have a conversation with the hammer. <laughs> you talk to the workman because the workman knows what it is and what tool he needs to use. So the workman, your brain is incredibly complex and your brain has the ability to reason, your giftings, your abilities, um, your, all of those things that are part of your brain function in that capacity. Our ability to be able to re relate to the natural realm comes through the brain into our mind, which is spiritual. Our mind uses the brain. The thing about it is, 
is that um, our brain is not you. Your mind is you. When you talk about the heart, the heart is basically the mind and the spirit. It's your inner self as contrasted with your outer appearance. So when I have a look at Sarah and I talk about her heart, I'm talking about those things that I can't see. I'm talking about her spirit and I'm talking about her mind. That part of her which forms her person, her identity, those things that are not accessible to me. The thing is, the outside is what I look at physically, your face, your appearance, your height, your hair color. When it speaks about the heart, it's speaking about those things that are inside of who you are. The most important component of the heart is the mind, because that is the part to you that decides who you are. When we get born again um, and the life of God comes on the inside of us, you still have the prerogative and the choice as to whether you want to allow yourself to be defined by God or whether you want to define yourself from your brain and your experiences. So what does God say about that? Matthew chapter 15, verse 8. Honor me, um, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You know what he's saying? He's saying you can have physical places where you worship God. This was what we would call religious. You can do a whole bunch of rituals. You could do a whole bunch of things. You could do a whole bunch of prayers. What you're doing in the natural is one thing. The problem with it is the heart, the inside of who you are, the things that's most consequential to God are far from me. He's saying there's a disparity between things here. You look really good in the natural, but I know what's happening on the inside of you. God is always concerned with the heart because the heart is the place where God is going to meet you. The heart is the place where God is going to put his spirit and the heart is the place where he's going to bring change and transformation in who you are. God's not interested in your brain. That's your responsibility to manage. It's your toolbox. When we begin to allow who we are, our mind, to be defined by who God is and who he's called me to be, what will end up happening is I begin to exercise authority over my brain and I begin to operate and use it as a tool as opposed to allowing it to give definition to who I am. The waiting shifts. I start to move back into God's pecking order. Holy Spirit, giving definition to who I am, conformed to the image of Christ, that's my mind, and using my brain as a tool. Luke 6.45, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart for everything you do flows out of it. Jeremiah 29.13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your God is concerned about your inner being. Why? Because that's the part where we begin to move into and begin to explore the spirit dimension. And when we move into the spirit dimension is where we can find him. And when we find him is where we can build relationship with him. And when we build relationship with him is when change starts to take place in who we are. The mind is the, the, the core part. It's kind of the nucleus. Let's put it that way. Okay. It's the nucleus of the spirit. It's who you are. It's potentially whatever is thinkable, but it's actually nothing until it's thought. What it means is this. When you were born and you were, and spirit was on the inside of you, the nucleus of who you are, the potential to become who you were to be, existed. 
but it existed as nothing. It has the incredible capacity to be able to learn and grow. The challenge that we have is because we are born into a natural realm and initially we don't have relationship with God, we default to our brain and the natural and everything that's happening in our world to start to give definition to my mind, my identity. The thing is, I don't always have to have words to give definition to who I am. I just need to pick up ideas. Ideas are powerful. Babies don't understand language, but they know when they're being loved and they know when they're being abused. And there is messaging that's taking place in that context that's forming who I am. The world is a good, comfortable, happy place for me. I don't like the world. People are cruel. I'm picking up stuff all the time. All of those things are beginning to give definition to who I am. That's why when we come to Christ, we come broken. Because so much of who we are is nothing like who he is. And he looks at us and he says, who I want you to be is nothing like who you are and where you've been. But don't worry about that. The reason that I came, the reason that I died on the cross, the reason that I was raised from the dead, so that you can let go of that stuff and move to something new. Ideas are what form our mind. The reason it becomes so consequential as well is that ideas can come from two different realms. And when we get born again, what ends up happening is the life of God, the nature of God moves into our spirit. And there is an invitation that is extended on a regular basis to sit and say, okay, so now as we begin to move forward, do you want to continue being defined by what you think and how your world is and how your experiences and how your world dictates things to you? Or are you going to make a change and be transformed by moving from that as a source for your identity or allowing the spirit of God on the inside of you, the spirit of Christ to begin to inform that space. Be not conformed to the world anymore, but be transformed by the renewing of your It's the nucleus of who you are. What he's saying is, I know how you used to live. I know you never had options before, but God has arrived. And when Christ has arrived on the scene and he puts his life on the inside of you, the invitation is there so that you don't have to continue as you were. You can change. I can become a brand new creation in Christ and live that way. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Set your mind. What is he saying? He doesn't say, set your brain. Why? He's not worried about your thoughts. He's talking about your identity. He's saying those things that define who you are as a person, those things that define your attitude and your character and your disposition, those things that define the way that you interact with people, those things that define your relationships, those things that define the way that you engage with life, all of those things are coming from somewhere. What he's saying is when you begin to change your mind, your nucleus, your identity, who you are as a person, all of a sudden what ends up happening is don't set it on things on the earth, set it on things above where Christ is be conformed to his image Romans 12 to be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God he's talking sanctification understand this when you get born again you have opportunities available to you that were never available for you to us previous to that The life of God comes into that space. But what he does is, not only are you born again and will you go to heaven if you die. The thing about it is, he talks about renewing the mind. 
Renewing mind is a whole process of sanctification. What is he saying? He's saying, now that I've arrived and the fullness of my life is on the inside of you, what I want to do is I want to begin to redefining who you see yourself as, who you are and how you live. And as we begin to allow parts of who we are to be changed and transformed into his image, what ends up happening is we begin to live differently and behave differently, and expect things differently. And my will begins to change and shift in different ways. And as I begin to change more and more, so I'm able to walk into proving what is the good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. I'm moving, I'm going from glory to glory. I'm moving in a way where I'm allowing him to have influence in my life so that the fullness and everything that I read in the Bible, all the promises and all the things that he speaks about become a reality in my life. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Sarah and I were talking about this the other day. We, we have such funny things as people because we, you know, when people do dumb things, it's okay because everybody does a dumb thing. But when you keep doing dumb things, it's a little bit like, okay, you deserve a slap now. Wake up a little bit. A slap, Rafa. Why? Because learn from it. Learn from it. And it's like, you know, and you have situations where you think, how am I supposed to deal with this? You know, it's like, what, what do I do with it? And it's like, I, I want to shake people and get them to see the, 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 the silliness of some decisions. And then you begin to realize, you know what? I actually don't need to do that. Because you know what? Your decisions come with a price. I've said before you, life and death, blessings and cursing. What he's saying is here, to be carnally minded is death. Anytime you allow your world to give definition to who you are and you live from that place and you act from that place and you behave from that place and you talk from that place, what ends up happening is things don't work out very well. I don't have to worry about slapping you. The thing about it is, it's, it's often what happens. It's, it's, a, it's a big challenge with people who have addictions. It's really hard to get people who have got addictions to change because you talk to them. It's, it's like people who, who are anorexic. You, you can talk and talk and talk and they'll agree with everything you say, but nothing changes. Why? Because I haven't hit bottom yet. And still the appeal to that is still greater than the potential consequence. And so in many instances, you have to wait until people hit the bottom of the barrel. Because when they hit the bottom, suddenly it's like, I can't go any lower. I don't have to get you to that place. Your choices will do that. I don't wish that for anybody, but it's the same as God. God looks as a father and he says, I don't want that for you. The thing is, I've given you life. Choose it. Why do you keep making dumb decisions? The will is the power of choice. It defines my character. The qualities that are distinctive to me. There is a very close relationship between the mind and the brain. The mind and who you are and the way that it's defined in the definition. We, we cannot separate ourselves from being natural people. You're never going to know yourself completely as a spirit being or completely as a natural being because you live in two realms. If you get arrested for drunk driving and they take you and they're going to take your mugshot, you can't say, this isn't really me, check my heart. <laughs> They're not interested in your heart at that point. Show me your face. There's, we still operate in the natural realm. 
And so there is still a natural influence. And because all of us have got history that play, that plays a part in who we are. The thing about it is, as we begin to move into the spirit realm, what we begin to do is we, we, we understand that in that mind space is where we begin to get sensitive to the influence of God in our life. And he doesn't speak with words, but he speaks with promptings. And we feel different things at different times. Different people sense God in different ways. It's up to you. The thing about it is what we're learning to do is we're learning to differentiate between who I am and who he is, between his voice and mine. Can I tell you a secret? So don't tell anybody this is between us. Like a red flag for me is when somebody comes to me and they say, God told me. And it's like, oh, everything goes up in me. It's like, whoa. It's like, hold on a second. It's not because I'm I'm not very positively predisposed to whether God tells you. But what I've found in many instances is actually what they tell me isn't what God told them. It's really what they wanted to do. And the reason that I know that is because what they were telling me is incongruent to the word of God. So Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul. That's a bad translation. The original Greek is mind. Piercing even to the division of mind and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. What he's saying is your mind is looking for definition. And it's looking to be defined in terms of who it is. And so when God moves into the spiritual part of your life, the Holy Spirit has the opportunity to make impartations and to birth the life of Christ on the inside of who you are. And in that space, anytime you feel like doing something, what, as you begin to learn, you begin to understand whether it's of God or not. How do you know? If I'm not sure, go to the Word of God. Anytime it doesn't line up with the Word of God, it's probably something else talking, but it's not God. Beliefs are the DNA of the mind. Beliefs are the DNA of the mind. Our nucleus and who we are is motivated. Guard your heart. What is he saying? Watch the DNA. Because whatever gets to inform the DNA begins to give birth to whatever you produce in your life. All things are possible to him who? It's your beliefs. The possibilities of your life are determined by what you believe, good or bad. If our beliefs are defined by who he is, we're able to participate in his life and we experience what God has available to us. But we don't always believe in that. We might believe that people are cruel. I might believe that the world is a fearful place. And I don't look like living in that. I might believe that if I go out there, chances are pretty good I'm going to get COVID and die. And I'm, that's a belief. What ends up happening is it produces as a result of that belief, actions, words, attitudes. All of my behaviors and the way that I live are birthed as a result of beliefs and what exists in that space. Guard it everything that you have because once it gets in there the only one who can get it out is Christ you get fear on the inside of there you're not getting fear out you can manage it but you can't get you can't save yourself you can manage it there are attributes that we have that are not of God we can manage them but all of them if you have a look will have a root in a belief. 
The reason that sozos are so powerful is because what it does is it introduces you to having a discussion with the Holy Spirit and you allow him to take you back to what caused that belief. Where did that belief come from? You want to focus on all of these behaviors and I'm struggling with this and I had a hard time with this and I'm addicted to that and I even have physical reactions to that thing. I might even be sick in certain areas. It's all coming out of a central place. The funny thing is if you can take it down and you can understand the root, you can pull it out. That's why it's powerful because it goes back to beliefs. Beliefs are so powerful. Beliefs are of you. Beliefs are not of God. Beliefs are the things that define my mind. It's the DNA of your mind. John 14, verse 12, he who believes in me, the works that I do will he do also and greater works than these. What is he saying? He who believes in me, he who falls in love with who I am and what I'm all about and allows that to define aspects of who he is will do the same works that I did and greater works than these. God is after your beliefs. When we talk about God is after your mind and your identity, when we talk about be conformed to his image, he's talking about your beliefs. At a very practical level, what he's looking at doing is he's looking at sending the Holy Spirit into that place to come and rummage through your life. And anytime he finds a belief that is outside of who Christ is, he says, I found a weed. John eleven forty. Jesus replied, did I not tell you? If you believed, you would see the glory of God. I'm going to get into that in a minute. The glory of God is the presence of God and the fullness of his attributes, his character, and his qualities. Everything that he is and everything that he can do is the manifestation, and the manifestation of that is the glory of God. What he's saying is this. If you can believe, if you can fall in love with who he is and what he's all about and allow that redefinition to take place. What will end up happening is you will see the presence there and the change that takes place as a result of that. You want to see the glory of God. It has nothing to do with you. It's whether you will allow and invite him into that space. How do I do that? By allowing him to influence the beliefs of my life. Anytime I'm incongruent with him, that's the problem with it. How can two walk together unless what is agree? What he's saying is I'm wanting to bring agreement into that space because when I move into that space and you're in agreement with me, you can see the glory. Matthew 17, 20, Jesus said, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move and it'll move and nothing will be impossible for you. The potential of our spirituality and our life with God comes down to your beliefs. Your beliefs are of you. And you can't always change them. Actually, you can't change them. Remember the man who brought his son to Jesus. And he said, can you just, basically he was talking for deliverance for his son. And Jesus said to him, well, tell me a little bit about you and can you believe it? And what did he say to Jesus? He turned around and said to Jesus, please help my unbelief. What is he saying? I don't have that. I'm struggling. I know what my beliefs are and they're incongruent with where you are. There is a place in our life when we come to a place where we begin to recognize that part of who I am is incongruent with God. We've got to get together with the Holy Spirit and say, help my unbelief. 
I can't change this, but you can. I can't do it, you can, because it's a supernatural work. The glory is, oh, geez, is that the time? The glory is God's invisible character qualities and attributes made visible. God in heaven is who he is, defines what the heavenly realm is all about. So when he talks about bringing heaven to earth, what he's really saying is, I want to make myself manifest in that place. When he says bring heaven to earth, what he's saying is, all the things that define the environment in which I find myself, I want to introduce that into your life. That's what bringing heaven to earth is all about. God reveals himself through the influence of his presence. It's about who he is, not what he has. It's about who he is, not what he has. The glory of God is Christ. John 1 verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and what he was saying is, if you want to see what the glory of God looks like, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Colossians 1 verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. Now, this is what's really, really exciting. Man was formed, or man was made for the glory of God. Isaiah 43, 7, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made, you were created for his glory. You were created for the person because when the person arrives, the fullness of the attributes and the character and the nature arrives with him. Why did he breathe into Adam, his his spirit? Because what he did is he put his person inside. He put his spirit inside of Adam. There was an incarnational reality. What he was saying was, you were made to house me. You were made to house me. God introduced his presence into Adam. God breathed into his nostrils and man became a living soul. Man's purpose. Creating man in God's image empowered us to live in his likeness. Who he is in us enables our purpose. Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion. There is your purpose, to reign and rule, to have dominion. You're not capable of reigning and ruling by yourself. What he's saying was this. Let us make God, man in our image. And as a result of being in my image, as a result of being in his nature, his character, his attributes, and who he is, allowing that to define us begins to make us into his image. We look like him. We resemble him. When we resemble him, what ends up happening is we are empowered to live our purpose, to reflect his likeness, which is, oh, dominion, reign and rule. I don't get to reign and rule. He does. But when he moves into that space and moves into your life, when he moves into that place where he starts to redefine your mind, 
the nucleus of who you are, what is he doing? He's sitting saying, you were built for my image. So he breathed. When you got born again, the Holy Spirit and the life of Christ came and moved on the inside of you. You were made for my image. And the Holy Spirit is looking at taking your mind, the nucleus of who you are, the center of your spirit. And he's looking at conforming that to the image of Christ. It's the whole process of sanctification. Christ born on the inside of me. Why? Because when I'm born on his image, I can fulfill my purpose which is to reign and rule. It's to live in his likeness because what ends up happening is it's not my power and authority which is able to do anything, but it's Christ in me, the hope of glory. If we want to participate in the glory, you've got to have the person. You've got to have the person. How does God do that? Our beliefs. How does God begin to change your beliefs? Through a substance. A substance called faith. What he's trying to do is, faith is the substance of things, the evidence of things. Right. May Christ dwell in your hearts by? What's the essence of your heart? Your mind. What is he looking to do? He's looking to take the substance of who Christ is, faith. And he's building that on the inside of you. Faith is what will change your beliefs. When you get to the place where you allow the Holy Spirit to birth the things of Christ on the inside of me, what ends up happening is he's birthing the truth, the attributes, the qualities, all that Christ is on the inside of who I am. And when that begins to resonate on the inside of me, what ends up happening is it forms a new foundation to my life. What is a foundation? He's basically using a synonym for your beliefs. It forms a new belief in your life. I didn't realize that I could do that. I didn't realize that that was God's plan for me. I didn't realize that that was God's purpose for me. But when I moved into that space and I allowed the Holy Spirit to begin to do something in my life, that's why revelation is so important. Revelation is hearing. From, the, from God. And when you hear from God, what he, be, what he does is he takes the things of him and imparts them to you. When my beliefs are defined by his faith. It's not my faith, his faith. Faith is of God. Belief is of me. When he takes parts of who he is and he builds it into my beliefs and my beliefs are informed as a result of that, I'm having Christ built on the inside of me. Practically, that's how it happens. We talk a lot about that, but we don't always think, well, what is the process for doing that? Faith is substance. Sorry, I'm rushing a little bit. The spirit, of, the spirit of God born in Adam's mind conformed him to God's image, Romans 10.10. 10. With the heart man believes unto righteousness. What is righteousness? Perfect standing with God. I look like him. With the heart. What he's talking about? The center of your heart is your mind. The power of incarnation. God in Adam was the father. Uh, God in Adam was as the father in Jesus is as Christ in me. God in Adam, God created Adam and he breathed into Adam the breath of life and the spirit of God moved into Adam. Okay. Spirit of God in Adam was the equivalent to Jesus said, it's not me that doeth the works. It's the father on the inside of me. What is he saying? It's, it's the incarnational reality is the same as Christ in me, the hope of glory. It's not about me. It's about the incarnational reality. Wow. 
That was the blueprint and the original design for man. Let us make man in our image and our likeness. And he breathed into man the breath of life. He breathed into him the spirit of God. Incarnational reality. God took up residence on the inside of man. And when Adam walked around, Adam was being defined by the life of God on the inside of him all the time. The Holy Spirit was leading him and guiding him and teaching him and introducing him to knowledge, conforming his mind, putting ideas into his mind that conformed to who the image of God was on a regular basis. It's exactly what happened to Jesus. It's not, God, it's not me that doeth the works. It's the Father on the inside of me. It's the same as you when you get born again. Christ in me, the hope of glory. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives on the inside of me. It's an incarnational reality. I can do nothing of my own. Whatever you ask in my name, um, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Religion is of the brain, relationship is of the mind. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power of, thereof. Big distinction. Anytime we default to our brain to try and live our relationship with God, you're going to end up in religion. I'm trying to do some stuff. You have a form of godliness, but you deny the power thereof. You never get to experience who he is and what he's all about. The way we get to experience him is we have to move into the realm of the heart the spirit, because that's where you find him. It's in that space where you begin to discover God and form a relationship with God. Outside of that, all you have is religion. Nobody wants religion, including me. It's dull, it's boring, it's hard work, and it's unfulfilling. You discover life when you move down into the heart. You, move, you discover life when you move into the spirit. It's the inception of kingdom living, heaven on earth. I, uh, let me do this next week because I'm sorry, I, I've already taken you long. Um, he's doing some stuff on the inside of you. What I'm wanting to do is, I just want you to look in the hood. I want you to see who you are so that you can discover how you're best able to use what God has created to be able to partner with him on an ongoing basis so that he can begin to do some stuff in our life. You may have challenges. You may have issues with stuff that you're trying to deal with. You may find that there are parts of your life that you're unhappy with and disgruntled with. Don't worry, you're okay. The thing is just don't live in that space. The opportunity has been provided for you to step outside of that and to allow him to give redefinition to who you are. My mind! Don't live in your head. Don't live in, nothing good is going to come of that space. The problem with it is this. Anytime you try and meet God there, you end up in a functional relationship. Functional relationships are unhealthy and they're expendable. Because at any point where you're not giving me what I think I should get, I can lose it. It's when you have heart connection that I never let go of that. Because it's deep and it penetrates more than function. Can we please stand? If you've got some stuff out there and you want somebody to pray for you, I want to invite you to come up at the end of the service and people will pray with you. God wants to do some tremendous stuff in your life. I want to thank you for your love for us, Father. I just want to thank you that you're so good to us. And you're looking with regularity. 
with eagerness to introduce us to life. Life of a superior nature. All the fullness of everything you've provided for us is in you. And I thank you for the opportunity that you've given us, Jesus, to be able to move into that space where you can begin to give redefinition to who we are, being conformed to your image so we can participate in your life, so we can experience who you are. I ask you, Holy Spirit, that as people begin to move into a greater exploration of the unknown, the spirit world, deeper relationship with you, more meaningful connection, I thank you that you always will meet us. I bless you for that. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' precious name, amen.